The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of the man that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast. August 19th. One of Star Trek's biggest icons. Or celebrity fans. Or both. We'll be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel Star, James Marsters. The heart of real science fiction is a story about people and ideas. Welcome back to the podcast, quoting Gene Roddenberry. We are here with, it's our last episode with William Matthews, who is a singer, songwriter, and advocate. We're super stoked to have him back. And um, I'm not the only one who had a crush on Spike, correct? Uh, I definitely still do. (laughs) He was 90s hot. Ah, he was 90s hot. So, okay, let's dive into this quote. I love it. I think, uh, obviously... We're talking about Star Trek, right, on this podcast. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it also smacks me, maybe because I just watched the original Blade Runner. And something about that reminded me of this quote, right? Because even though it's sci-fi and they're aliens and and, and we can relate that to data, uh, data Mm -hmm. when it comes to Star Trek, it's just a human story, right, of wanting to be seen for what we are, wanting to be acknowledged and seen as equals, it's it's so human, whether it's data or or any other sci-fi thing. And also, it's a good tip. He's giving writers a great tip here. Yep. He really is sci-fi writers or non-sci-fi writers. It's the story, right? It's it's literally the story. The heart of real science fiction is the story mm-hmm. is about people and ideas, real scenarios. What do you what do you think, William? I, I agree. It is the story. It is the people. Sci-fi is great because it does the bait and switch. It it starts with faraway planets. You're lured in with the glitzy gadgets and and the the even some of the philosophy and some of the the wildness of the scenery. But at its core, it's meant to remind us to see the beauty and wonder of what's right in front of us. Right. Which is people, which is that people matter. Kind of going back to some of those earlier quotes where we talked about Gene Roddenberry was a mystic. <laughs> in my opinion, he's mm-hmm. a mystic and a saint uh, personally. But, you know, he, he's a mystic. He's a saint. He's an anthropologist. He's a television writer. But he's constantly bringing us back because all those roles, what they do at their core is they bring you back to what's really important to the center. And the center is that people matter, that the story matters. And it's in these stories are about what love. These stories are about exploration. These stories are about curiosity because that's so indicative of who we are as humans. And so, yeah, the real heart of science fiction is people. Mm-hmm. You know, and Data gets a lot of love because he's a very popular character, the android who wants to be a uh, human, like the Pinocchio archetype. But honestly, yeah, I love Data, but my non-human favorite Star Trek character has always been the Doctor. Uh, played by the amazing Robert Picardo, who was one of our guests on Quoting Gene Roddenberry uh, a few weeks ago, because that character 
uh, is programmed with a human personality. So he's he's programmed with the personality of Zimmerman, the inventor of the AMH program. So he comes already with these this humor and uh, this emotion and this character who doesn't even have a physical body. He is composed of photons and light. He's a hologram. Has fallen in love. Uh, he had a stint as an opera singer where he was a superstar <laughs> on a planet in the Delta Quadrant. He was such a huge star. He almost left Voyager to <laughs> be an ego. opera singer superstar on this planet. A lot of times, the, the you know, in the early uh, part of his story arc, his character was the uh, a doctor with like not a great bedside manner, and he learns to have more feeling towards the pain that the humans go through when they get hurt. So he programs he programmed himself, or Kess, I think, programmed him to feel pain so he could understand what it's like. And it's just such a great tool for for the writers of Star Trek to take a, a purely sci-fi character who doesn't even corporally exist. He is a hologram. <laughs> but there's so much heart in that character, more than Data, because Data didn't have all of this emotion. The EMH doctor did. And and he's just one of my favorite characters. But Trent, this is why I personally love that they included a character like Deanna Troy, right? Yes. Because mm. because we think about people who feel as, oh, whatever, your feelings. Who cares mm -hmm. about your feelings? Mm -hmm. And yet, Star Trek thought it was important enough to have an empath officer telling you. On the bridge. It, on on the, bridge, the bridge. That emotions and being able to intuit what's coming from people and when the emotions they're feeling and how important that it, even in way in the future, mm -hmm. that's still going to be incredibly important in the Star Trek world. And also I'll give credit to as a kid, I loved um, on, once again, Space 1999, they had an empath as well on that. And I appreciated it because it was saying it's science fiction, it's science fiction, but yet these human emotions, right, are just as important as the aliens we're encountering mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. I, I would say my favorite kind of like I love you. Thank you for the the Voyager uh, <laughs> rehash, because that's one of my top three for sure. Yeah. Um, and I love those storylines. I would say for me, my favorite storyline is, is Spock's storyline. Mm -hmm. And I personally resonate with Spock's character. You know, Spock's clearly this this I'm not biracial, but Spock is this, you know, basically interspecies, you know, yes. human and Vulcan. Yep. And and he is. But he comes actually from a mixed. He mixed. Yes. Yes. Because I always say I'm not really mixed. I'm two humans came together and made. Yeah. Me, okay? Yes. Clearly. Uh, but, you know, Spock is like dealing with the weight of two cultures that are in conflict, the weight of the Vulcan culture, which is logic based, you know, suppress all your emotions. And then mm -hmm. the human culture, which is is very curious and empathic and intuitive and, and emotional and emotional. Yeah, emotional. And he's wrestling, you know, with this in, in and of himself about which to give in, in and over. And. You know, for me, what made me resonate with that, even as a kid watching the old Spock, you know, and, and I would even still argue today watching new Spock is mm -hmm. I think for me being black in America, I've always had to be in two different cultures. You know, and I, I've always felt a the tension. Code switching, you say. Code switching. That's the, the yeah. proper word for it. Yeah. I know what it feels like to feel in, in that in-between space, right? And and to wrestle with what do I say now? How hiding bits of yourself, you know, not being fully present. And those stories resonate because those are our stories. Like I, that to me, that's why Spock feels so real, even though he's a Vulcan, right? Is because as a human, I know what it feels like to have to parse myself on that level, and 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 to be at war within oneself, and and to find some integration. But it's also rooted in our culture. I mean, stoicism, yeah, is 
from historical, you know, you could be all these different ways of being that were broken down thousands of years ago. Right. Right. And yet that that stoicism resonated for a character for Gene Roddenberry tripped me out, man. You know, I mean, I have to tell you, William, it is such a pleasure having you as our guest this week because you just keep unlocking all these things in my mind that I never considered. I never thought of what it would be like to consider Spock as a, you know, from a biracial perspective or from a mixed perspective. It's, I mean, it's just, uh, and as you're speaking, I'm like, oh my God, obviously it makes sense now. Oh yeah. What, they call them, um, what do they call them? There's an actual sociological word. I think it's called third culture person, like third culture kid. Google it. They oftentimes it's people that are missionary kids, military kids, where they don't feel at home in their native culture. They're wherever they're currently based is not their actual culture. So they develop this bubble around them of their own culture. It's their third culture. And I think that can apply to so many. I felt like I had to do that because we moved around a bunch. My parents were pastors. Mm -hmm. And so again, the Spock character who, who again is constantly out of place you know, wherever he, you know, and is trying to merge some things within himself, right, that uh, he doesn't quite feel at home anywhere except with his close friends and and the community that he creates. And that's why those bonds are, are so important. And also, I just want to add that Dis- Discovery took that whole thing to a next level to find out that Spock had a black sister. Yes. <laughs> it was like yes. everything, right? Like, because I was like, I always felt like I was a black Vulcan as a kid, right? And I was like, yes. so, so even Michael right, Burnham. We were just Klingons. Yeah, actually. exactly. That's um, kind of what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> but I love I love the concept of third culture or what is it third? Yeah, culture? like Google is called third heard, culture kid. Never heard that, and I quite like it because I feel that's a little how I feel. Although I feel a part of it, right? I grew up mainly yeah. in a white society, so I understand it inside and out. And I wish that uh, white culture understood Spanish culture or black culture inside and mm-hmm. out the way we have to yeah. understand their culture yeah. to move through this world, right? Yep. But it is interesting having to go, well, which one, what are you more of? And I'm like, I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about, you know? Because we had to create our own culture. We had to create our own bubble, like of of, yeah. of a mixing of all these different things. And that's why in, in the Discovery storyline, I think Michael Burnham's trajectory over these last three seasons, we have seen her div- like come more into her full self and then seeing yes. that been at war with it. You know, and she's, mm-hmm. you know, human. She's not Vulcan, but she was so steeped in that. that raised that, on Vulcan. Yeah, raised on Vulcan. She had to to learn how to be a, a whole person, right? And then her year off in the uh, thousand year future, right, has given, gave her that opportunity to breathe. And and to come into her own. From watching all these episodes, Star Trek really taught me that um, you don't have to pick one or the other, do you? Like that nope. uh, that early episode in original Star Trek where Spock, you know, uh, is all emotional. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's just all emotional. What I learned from that episode as a kid was it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. It's kind of splitting the difference mm-hmm. and finding your middle ground, right? I mean, and I synthesize that as a little kid from that episode. Did you remember seeing that one, Matthew? That's William. That's really Sorry, yeah. It's a, people call me that all the time because <laughs> they feel like I have two first names. No, well, again, children are are more aware than we think they are. Like I picked up on a lot of these themes as a child too, and it actually gave me comfort, even if I didn't understand every word or every every nuance of an interpersonal relationship. As a child, 
I got the heart of it. Because children, get they get things. They get the gist yes. of it. They know how it makes them feel on the inside. They're like, when I watch mm-hmm. this, I feel this. And I, I either like that or I don't. And then, you know, as they grow up, they may interrogate that, right? Like, this is why I like this. This is why I don't like this. And so I, I agree. Watching Spock as a child helped me navigate a world in which I was constantly moving around in several different elementary schools and physically moving. Like, I had to learn how to, cre- like, create my own, inter- like, uh logic system for how to be in all these different environments. For people might not know what code switching is, by the way, it's basically any culture can have it, but we talk about it mostly in terms of black culture, how I'm on the, uh, you know, I'm recording a podcast now and this is actually how I talk, right? But if I were around a bunch of my people's, It might get a little different. We might use a different vernacular. We might use different, uh, you know, thought, all these things that we switch up a little that we as brown people do to fit into white culture. And I know Trent has experience with this, too. I was going to say, or if you're in New York and your New York accent comes out. Yeah. Um, But uh, William, it's it's interesting how you uh, say that Spock resonates with you. It took a long time for there to be a Latino, Latina, Latinx uh, character, main character on Star Trek. Uh, Captain Rios and Picard is someone who I'm very glad we have now. Yeah, me too. um, Belana Torres, the last name Torres to me always sounded very Hispanic. And they never talked about she's half human and half Klingon. They never talked about what kind of human she was, just that she was human and Klingon. And her story is mostly about, you know, uh, the battle between those two aspects of her. But... I always imagine, and, and I'm not sure if this is right or not, but uh, that she is of Latina descent, played by the amazing Roxanne Dawson, who read one of our quotes. So, you know, we definitely see ourselves, uh, or at least I see myself in a lot of sci-fi and in Star Trek in particular, because as as the quote says, as Gene makes clear, the heart of real science fiction is about people and ideas. And because you, William, can can identify with Spock and I can identify with Bilana. That is something that is, that is what makes sci-fi and Star Trek in particular so enduring, which is why we're talking about it still 55 years later. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we project often what we need. And, and so even you describing your fascination with Bilana Torres resonating with her, whether she was or is or is not technically, you know, mm-hmm. Latino... It, it, you needed that. Mm-hmm. And and there was something in you that did resonate because there was something for you in it, you know, and in that character. And I think mm-hmm. for all of us, I see little bits of myself in these characters. And that's what makes it, we keep coming back to it and again and again and again is because it is a reflect, it's a mirror. And again, all good spirituality is a mirror. All good TV is, is a true mirror, right? Of like who we are on the inside. And we need it. We need it to see ourselves. Yeah. I love that you said that, Trent. Um, And because quite often, you know, I'm coming from the prism of like my own blackness or mixed Jewish blackness. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, but I live in California. And when I moved here in the 90s, people were so terrible about Mexican people. And by that, I mean all my Anglo friends. Mm. That's what I mean. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it must have been a moment when you heard that name. Yeah, you know? I, it just, it just, uh, it's not something that I really thought about. Like, like I'm missing this. It just didn't occur to me because there are all these amazing characters of different races, male, female, in different, you know, levels of of uh, hierarchy and captains and and all and ensigns. But you know, Belana Torres, 
the torrent. That's a that's a Hispanic name. So whether she yeah. is or she isn't, I'm 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 claiming her but as these uh, my Latina sister. These characters can help undo some of our subconscious bias, right? Yeah. Because I remember it wasn't even that long ago that a a, a well known celebrity was trying to defend Mexican Spanish people in California, but her bias and the example she used was. Why should you? You can't hate Mexican people. Like, who's going to clean your toilet? And, yeah, you know, that, that is a bias yeah. that this person was unaware of. And I yeah. know they had some schadenfreude and had to suffer over that. But good. I think they probably learned. And, no, you know, whatever. Eh? It could happen to anyone. And yet, I wish they'd come forward and said, I have some bias that I did not know about. If I only associate Mexican people with that or black mm-hmm. people with this, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that's. Why the heart of real science fiction is people, and these stories and show us this. Like the that's the point of these stories is it shows us the other, the people that we don't know about, whether it's the alien or it's our Mexican brothers and sisters, you know, mm-hmm. or gay brothers and sisters, like it or non-binary. Like it, it gives us the feel. Like I mean, Jadzia Dax was that character, you know, in Deep Space Nine, where we saw probably the first iteration of what could be a trans person, yes. you know, um, someone who has these, uh, a different, who presents one way, <laughs> you know, gender and, yep. but it's something totally different. And and then we saw the first lesbian kiss on television be- through Deep Space Nine and, and Jetsy mm-hmm. and Dax. Was um, that the it was, first lesbian kiss That on was television? the first lesbian kiss it's on television. It's definitely one of the first. It was in the, is in the 90s. I think it was before Ellen came out. So definitely one of the and first. And it was before sure. the Showtime women's lesbian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but okay. I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, it was well a, on network television, daytime network television. That kiss was the first uh, uh, female kiss, like lesbian kiss it's on sort television. Of, it's sort of like we can only envision, like we've been talking about this whole week with our guest, William Matthews, that some things can only be envisioned or tackled when we put it outside of ourselves, right? We put it in a sci-fi thing to, to oh, say, so it's not true. now, it's the future, you guys. Mm-hmm. Don't freak out. <laughs> yeah, I, I've worked in a lot of uh, white evangelical conservative spaces in, over the course of my life. And let me just tell you one thing I've learned is when you put it in the sci-fi context, people will accept a lot of things that right in front of them, they won't accept. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, even growing up in the 90s, remember how conservative the 90s were, you know, like Star Trek, The Next Generation and was very sexual at times. I don't know if you remember. There was a lot of sexual like I mean, things happening. I mean, he got some. He a got lot. some. Deanna Troy had a number of real like sexual stuff that was happening, like with yep. you know whatever. But I remember thinking like church people would like watch that show religiously and love it, right? Like they wouldn't mm-hmm. like it if it was in another context. But for some reason, sci-fi gave sci-fi. them the, per- the permission to not, you know. It's not in front of you. That's 300 years in the future. And this is what Gene knew in the 60s. And that is why Star Trek is such an enduring uh, franchise that is beloved the world over. Right. Doing this podcast has absolutely helped me realize that not all uh, Anglo people at that time period were insane. <laughs> <from my own experiences. laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's now I'm going. You know, you guys know I was going for the joke. Obviously, yeah, everyone's yeah. not insane. <laughs> that got me but we weren't thinking this way. It was don't ask, don't tell time, which in meant 90s, you could be yeah. gay, but don't tell anyone, or mm-hmm. we can kick you out of the art. It was an insane time, and I'm pointing this out before we wrap up this episode because I think kids today are like, but why didn't you guys do X, Y, and why didn't you? And I think you have to understand 
things through the context of the times. Like yeah. my Gen X generation, we did not. We couldn't. We were still under the thumb of the madmen baby boomers. Mm-hmm. That was the society we grew up in, we lived in. And so we paved the way is what I want to point out to the younger kids today, man. We all paved the way it's for still- you guys. It's still Sorry, hard for it's still hard for the younger generation now because coming out is going to be hard no matter who you are or when it happens. But, you know, what we it's easier. And I know uh, it might be hard for younger people to understand, but it did get better. It does and yeah. will get better. Yeah. I that's what I don't think there's a better way to wrap this episode up, you guys. Um, William Matthews, we could talk to you forever. Honestly. Forever. Yeah, no, you're you're so. I could talk um, to you guys forever. Thank you so much for having me. This has honestly been a dream come true. I don't get to nerd out and talk Trek with a lot of folks, so this is special. Well, I'm gonna befriend you on social media, and I'm gonna I want to keep these conversations going because this has been such an amazing week for me personally. Getting to know you and these conversations have been the best. What I've enjoyed too so much about this podcast is it's not just right. It's not just about sci-fi or science fiction. We are discussing concepts, the same kind of stuff I discuss with my friends, yep. right? Mm-hmm. When we really get down to it, and we're not talking about stupid stuff like housewives or bullshit TV, but what really is important to us as people, and that is what we have the luxury of on this podcast. So, William, thank you so much for playing with us this week. Thank you. And we would love for you to check out video of James Marsters reading today's quote on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we hope you join us again tomorrow for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us. Post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 